This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes Abuse and Coercion by Religious Authority Figures Mind Alteration and Negative Cultural Values, including Misogyny, Patriarchy, Transphobia, Heteronormativity, and Authoritarianism. The views of the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 355. Hello there, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction and tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started. Here is this week's story. Today, I'm bringing you Chapter 6 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, the entourage from House Bellevue arrived at the ski chalet belonging to House Drowling. Lord Bellevue and his family have been invited to a retreat in the mountains by Viscount Drowling and Lord Tyrrell, Bellevue's cousin, who are hoping to persuade the Council of Peers to vote against the succession reform bill. If the bill passes, Tyrrell's son Graham will be removed from his position as the House Bellevue scion, and Honor will take his place. Secretly, Honor is attending the retreat in order to gather intelligence on the Conservatives' pressure campaign, which she will report back to Countess Harcourt, the leader of the reform movement. Also accompanying Honor on this trip is Lady Delphinia, Harcourt's granddaughter, who is pretending to be romantically interested in Graham in order to justify traveling with House Bellevue. Graham originally was traveling with the other Bellevues, but he received an urgent telegram at the train station and quickly excused himself, heading back into the city. Meanwhile, Honor, Delphinia, and Lord Bellevue boarded a drowling carriage sleigh with a group of other nobles, and together they rode up the still snowy paths into the mountains. House Drowling greeted the sleigh with a show of magical fireworks as they approached, a none-too-subtle way of reminding their guests of the Drowling's skill at wizardry. Upon arriving at the chalet, they were greeted by a team of House Drowling attendants, who quickly divided the party into men and women. It is House Drowling's policy that the sexes are forbidden to fraternize with each other after nightfall, and Honor barely had time to say goodnight to her father before she and Delphinia were swept away to a smaller building above the main lodge. There they were welcomed by their hostess, Lady Angelica Drowling, an air mage and the Viscountess of LaSalle. Lady Drowling referred to the building as her sanctum, and told the ladies that she had warded it herself against all negative energies. While you are here, you are safe. 
A maid took Honor and Delphinia to their room, where food, wine, and water had been laid out for them. Delphinia was strangely on edge and refused to eat or drink anything they had been given. The maids came back with their luggage and assisted them in changing into their nightgowns, but when one of them tried to remove Delphinia's crucifix, the young scion became furious and screamed at them to get out. Honor couldn't understand this behavior at all, which was abysmally rude even for Delphinia. When she confronted Delphinia about it, the scion looked haunted and miserable. Something is very wrong here, she whispered. I don't understand it, but I can feel it like something crawling over my skin. Honor couldn't feel anything like that, and she wondered if maybe Delphinia was just tired and hungry from the journey. Delphinia was unconvinced, but since she didn't have a better explanation, she said her prayers and went to bed. Before Honor blew out the candles, she saw that Delphinia's expression still looked troubled, even in sleep. Her hand was still wrapped around the crucifix. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 6 The Wisdom of Sirach Saturday, May 12th In her dreams that night, Honor found herself standing once again at the entrance to the great hall of Hassan Manor, her heart fluttering with nervous excitement. Once again, her father stood beside her, smiling down at her in reassurance. Once again, she was dressed in a beautiful white gown. This time, however, that dress came with a veil, a bouquet of flowers, and a long train that stretched out behind her on the red carpet. This is it, she thought dizzily. This was the moment she had been waiting for, the moment she had imagined throughout her life, the moment that defined her purpose. Is that right? Something about it felt off, somehow, but she could not have said why. Somewhere nearby musicians struck up a wedding march, slow and stately. The doors opened before them, and Honor saw not the great hall, but an equally grand cathedral. Long pews filled with people lined either side of the aisle. Stone columns soared upward into pointed arches and high vaulted ceilings. Stained glass sparkled with light and color, the sign of the yew tree gleaming in a circular window behind the altar. A beam of white light came from somewhere overhead, catching the dust in the air and forming a visible column of illumination that stopped just before the pulpit. An ecclesiast bishop stood behind the podium, dressed in white vestments and a bright purple stole, the yew tree embroidered on each end in cloth of gold. To one side stood noble Alex, in full formal androgyne dress, waistcoat, corset, kilt, scarf, and leggings, in rich fabrics of deep black, pure white, and crimson red. Alex was in their masculine form, but Honor still found them deeply attractive, their features sleek and elegant, their lips and chin hairless, their golden-brown eyes made up with eyeliner and mascara. 
They turned to look at Honor as the doors opened, and their brilliant, beaming smile took her breath away. Honor's father took her arm, and they proceeded down the aisle with slow, regal steps. All around her she saw her peers and relatives watching from the pews, standing at attention, bearing silent witness to this singular moment. Every face smiled as she passed. Up in front of the pulpit, the other members of their bridal party stood waiting to either side. Cousins Graham and Tyrrell, and Delphinia, and even, for some reason, Lady Drowling. Honor had the slight, niggling sense that someone was missing from all this. Someone important. But then she reached the front, and Alex was taking her hands in theirs, and any doubts or worries she might have had faded away. "'Dearly beloved,' the bishop intoned, "'we are gathered here today to witness the joining of these two children of Eli in holy matrimony. Let us pray.' Obediently, Honor bowed her head and closed her eyes. "'O Lord Eli,' the bishop said, "'be attentive to our prayers,' And in thy kindness pour out thy grace on these thy servants, that they should be one, joined in a bond of inseparable love. Through our Lord Yahshua thy Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of thy spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen, Honor murmured, and those around her did the same. The bishop turned now to the canticle of Eli that was spread out before him. Our reading today comes from the wisdom of Sirach, the twenty-sixth chapter. How blessed is the husband of a good wife! The number of his days shall be doubled. A loyal wife brings joy to her husband, and he will complete his years in peace. A good wife is a great blessing— she will be granted among the blessings of the man who trusts in the Lord Eli. Whether rich or poor, his heart is content, and at all times his face is cheerful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to Eli, said the congregation. Privately, Honor was somewhat dismayed at the bishop's choice of text. Alex might be in a masculine form right now, but they were not a man, and surely not her husband. Couldn't their officiant have chosen a scripture that better reflected their relationship? She looked over at Alex to try to see if they had been offended by the bishop's words. She was shocked to see that Alex now sported a full black beard, what must have been two or three months' growth at least. But how? And why? Lady Honor the bishop said, and the serious tone in his voice drew her attention back to him. Everyone here today knows you and loves you. We know that you are a good woman, honest and loyal, faithful and kind. All your life you have been a loving and obedient daughter, but today you step out from under your father's covering and under the covering of your husband. Why does he keep saying husband? she wondered. That isn't the right word. Is it? She glanced over at Alex again. Now they were dressed in a man's formal wear. Jacket, waistcoat, trousers, and cravat. 
When did they change? She felt sure she would have noticed. The good wife must pledge to love, honor, and obey her husband, the bishop continued. There is no more solemn duty given to a lady. In return, your husband will shelter you with his love. He will be your guardian, your protector, and your shepherd. Your obedience to him is like unto your obedience to Eli himself. Do you understand? Honor hesitated. She suddenly felt terribly exposed and more than a little offended. Standing up there in front of Eli and everyone, being lectured on obedience and submission by a man. Why, she knew more about the joy and contentment of obedience service than he ever would. That part of her had woken up on the day she had put on her necklace for... A sudden wave of nausea and vertigo ran through her, and she lost her train of thought. There was a tug on her hands. Lady Honor. She looked up. Alex was gone. She did not recognize the man who now stood in his place, but his beard was thick and long, and he was at least twice her age. She felt a surge of fear and confusion. Who are you? The man smiled, not unkindly. In a moment I will be your husband. But I don't know you, Honor protested. What happened to Alex? Where is Alex? She tried to pull away, but the stranger held her hands tightly in his grip. That creature could never be a match for you, he said, and the gentleness of his voice did not match the ugliness of his words. A lady needs a proper husband. The Lord Eli made woman to be man's helper, the bishop said. The androgynes pervert Eli's natural order. No one who has been emasculated shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No, that... that isn't right, Honor said. She tried to marshal a defense of Alex, but trying to think was like wading through molasses. The androgynes... We are all children of Eli. Eli didn't send the curse. I... She trailed off, feeling slow and foolish. The wisdom of Sirach says, A silent wife is a gift from Eli, the bishop said sternly. But a headstrong wife is regarded as a dog. You must love, honor, and obey your husband, Lady Honor. Love, honor, and obey, the bridal party echoed. Honor felt the panic rising up in her now. She was trapped. She looked around desperately for a way out. She saw Lord Bellevue stand and come up to the foot of the altar, where she had left him. Father, please, she begged. I don't want this. Do something. Lord Bellevue looked pained. Would you shame me in front of all of these witnesses, daughter? Would you make me a laughingstock, as your mother did? Honor's cheeks burned with humiliation. No, of course not. I would never do that to you. Father nodded slowly. Then he went back to his pew and sat down again. Then do your duty, Lady Honor. Take your vows. Honor felt sick. 
she looked back at the stranger who stood in Alex's place. You will learn to love me, Lady Aura, the man promised. That is the duty of a lady. I know you will be faithful to your duty. Unlike your whore of a mother. This last echoed in her mind, though the man's lips had not moved to say it. Repeat after me, the bishop intoned. I, Lady Honor, take you to be my lawfully wedded husband. I... Honor tried to say the words. Truly she did. But her throat closed, and her tongue swelled, and the panic squeezed her heart until she felt like it would burst. To have and to hold, the bishop said, relentless. To love, honor, and obey. To love, honor, and obey, the bridal party echoed again. They were all watching her now, looking on with a mixture of pity and disgust. Even father. Honor panted for air, tried to say the words, but they would not come. She was failing, failing in her duty, bringing shame on her house, just like her mother before her. Honor sat up in bed with a gasp, her heart pounding. She was momentarily disoriented. This was not her room, not at the apartment, not back home on the farm. Sunlight slanted in through the room's one small window. It was a bright and sunny day outside, but the snow-capped mountains in the distance were not familiar. Slowly, her mind took in details of the room around her. The narrow bed, piled with blankets, the little table where she had eaten her midnight snack, her luggage lined up neatly by the closet. Her confusion did not fade exactly, but it changed, becoming that warm, fuzzy blanket of peace that she had felt when she first arrived at Lady Drowling's sanctum. Yes, that was right. That was where she was. This is a safe place. Oddly, her pulse was racing. She did not know why. She had the vaguest sense of having been troubled by dark and frightening dreams, but they were already flitting away from her, sublimating like frost in the sunshine. There was no reason to be frightened. She was safe here. This was her sanctuary. Honor got up, brushed her teeth, and put on a morning wrapper. There was no sign of Delphinia. Her bed was made, the blankets cold. Honor decided not to worry about it. She went down the hall to the washroom, where she relieved herself and washed her face. When she came out of the washroom, she caught a delicious aroma on the air. The mingled scents of fresh scones and coffee and sizzling breakfast sausage. She followed her nose through the sanctum's narrow corridors, back to the main hall with the three great fireplaces. The hall was full of guests, women only, as Lady Drowling had promised. The scene was shockingly informal and intimate. They gathered in small groups all around the room, sitting on the armchairs and couches, or even reclining on the rugs in front of the fires. The low tables around them held silver serving trays, which the women had used to hold cups of coffee and tea, small glasses of juice and milk, and little plates of breakfast foods. Long buffet tables near the center of the room held a stack of these trays, along with chafing dishes and platters filled with more food, 
coffee and teapots, and pitchers of cold drinks, all of which tempted honor with their offerings. Everyone seemed comfortable, relaxed, and perhaps a little sleepy. Honor went to the buffet and quickly loaded a tray with food. She had never eaten a meal with strangers under such informal circumstances, but she liked the idea as soon as she saw it. It reinforced the message Lady Drowling had given them last night. Away from the eyes and expectations of the gentlemen, they could relax and enjoy themselves. Loaded up with food and drink, she began wandering around the room, looking for familiar faces with whom to share her meal. She did not see Delphinia anywhere, but she found a group of other young ladies with whom she'd had a passing acquaintance since arriving in the city. They welcomed her warmly enough, so she sat down with them and began to eat. The conversation wandered at random for a while, and very little of it stuck in Honor's head. She still felt half asleep, and the coffee did not seem to be helping. That was all right, though. There was nowhere she needed to be. Nothing she needed to do. Cousin Tyrrell would not be making his pitch to the counselors until after dinner, and nothing important seemed likely to happen before then. She perked up when Lady Drowling came up to the edge of their little group, carrying a breakfast tray of her own. Like her guests, she was dressed in a morning wrapper, though hers was a beautiful golden garment of thick brocaded silk, which shimmered and gleamed with her every movement. Her long black hair was plaited into a braid, which she wore draped over one shoulder. She smiled down at Honor, her dark eyes gleaming against her pale skin. "'Hello, my dears,' she said, addressing the group at large. "'May I join you for a while?' Honor and the other girls looked to one another in amazement. The Viscountess wanted to dine with them, the youngest and least important people in the room. Some of them shifted in their seats, looking nervous. Honor answered for them all. "'That would be wonderful. Please, my lady.' She slid over a little on the couch, making more room between herself and the girl on the far end. Lady Drowling smiled sweetly at her, and sat down between them in the spot Honor had cleared. After setting down her tray, she turned and offered Honor both hands, her palms turned upward. "'Lady Honor of Bellevue,' she said warmly. I was so pleased when your father told us you would be coming. Welcome. Honor felt a little embarrassed to be singled out in this way, but it would have been rude not to respond in kind. She reached for Lady Drowling's hands, but halfway through the motion she thought maybe she had misinterpreted the gesture. Was the lady offering her the arms of friendship instead? That would have been a more traditional gesture of affection— more formal and proper than joining hands. That would be the right thing to do here, she felt sure. She quickly adjusted course, sliding her forearms atop Lady Drowling's and gripping them at the elbow, as the ancient custom demanded. In the process, she noticed something strange, a long, hard object lying against Lady Drowling's skin, beneath the fabric of her sleeve. After a moment, she recognized what it was, a knife in a hidden sheath, much like the ones that Natasha used to conceal her weapons. She looked down in surprise, then back at Drowling's face. "'Is that your Arthana? she whispered curiously. "'Do you wear it all the time, then?' Something flickered in Lady Drowling's eyes, 
a reaction that was there and gone too quickly to identify. She wrapped her own hands around Honor's forearms, the traditional response, then leaned in close to her ear and whispered, Iluna. Honor felt a wave of dizziness. She sat back in her seat and... And she realized that everyone in the little circle was looking at her, smiling pleasantly but expectantly. She could not remember what she had just been doing. Lady Drowling was looking at her, concern creasing her brow. Are you all right, my dear? Lady Drowling asked. You seem to go away there for a moment. Honor shook herself, her face growing hot with embarrassment. I... I'm terribly sorry, milady, she said. I must have dozed off. Did you say something? Drowling smiled patiently. I said I was very pleased to have you here. Oh. Honor felt like perhaps she remembered Drowling saying something like that, though she could not be certain. Thank you, my lady. This is such a beautiful place. I am glad I could come. Several of the other girls echoed this sentiment. Lady Drowling turned back to address the entire group, slipping her hands inside the broad sleeves of her wrapper. Truly, the pleasure is mine, she said. I think it is very important that we older ladies make time for girls like you, who are just starting your journey in the peerage. There is so much we can teach you, if you are ready to learn. Honor felt a wave of something warm and pleasant wash over her. She could not have said what it was, but it seemed to be a more concentrated form of that sense of peace and safety that she'd had since stepping into the sanctum the night before. She felt a deep sense of respect and affection for this woman, who had so kindly opened her home to them. She found herself leaning forward, hands in her lap, eyes fixed on Lady Drowling's magnificent face. She wanted to hear everything this woman had to teach her. Lady Drowling looked around the circle with apparent satisfaction, seeing the same expression on every girl's face. Excellent, she said. Now then, my children, let us consider the wisdom of Sirash, the twenty-sixth chapter. A loyal wife brings joy to her husband. And that's the end of chapter six. Come back next time when we'll see what became of Natasha after Rutgers's guard knocked her unconscious. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Kurt Vonnegut said, Write to please just one person. If you open a window and make love to the world, so to speak, your story will get pneumonia. I feel like Kurt was sort of mixing his metaphors there, but we'll go with it. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of October 29th through November 4th. I wrote 2,261 words this week, over the course of 2.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 904 words per hour. I wrote on two out of seven days this week. 
Looking back at the month of October, I wrote a total of 3,143 words in three days, averaging 1,048 words per day. That ranks 82nd out of 90 months since I started this show. Compared to September, my word count decreased by 37%, and my writing time decreased by 58%. This week I had some time on my lunch break to write, and I started working on a non fiction piece that has been on my heart for a while. My grandfather is turning 90 next spring, and I've been thinking a lot about how the words we say at funerals should be said at birthday parties. So I'm working on a little speech about Papa's life, what I've learned from him, and what my relationship with him has meant to me. It's not fiction, I know, but at this point, I'm grateful for anything that can get my creative juices flowing and help me get back my writing habit. I also continued my dive back into reading queer romance with another Casey McQuiston book. This time it was their YA romantic comedy, I Kissed Shara Wheeler, and it did not disappoint. If you like stories about Nancy Drew type teen detectives, theater kids, enemies to lovers, and misanthropes unwittingly finding their people, you'll find a lot to love in this story. I especially appreciated the fact that the book showed us a lot of different types of people in its small town Alabama setting, and not just the two or three stereotypes we get in a lot of media set in that part of the world. Almost everybody in this book is more complex than they first appear to be, and even when they do bad things, you can usually understand how they ended up there. I can't wait to read more from McQuiston in the future. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.